Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. Well, go ahead and take your Bible, and you can open your Bibles to Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8. Um, I'm going through the book of Hebrews, and I've titled this series, Jesus Makes Everything Better. He really does. I'm so thankful for Jesus. Amen. He makes everything better. Let's, um, let me get my Bible opened here. Hebrews 8. And uh, we're going to dive in right here, uh, verse 1. My first point is this, that we have a better covenant established on better promises. I love that this church believes the promises of God. You know, if, if you're a new covenant believer, you're going you're gonna to get excited about promises because that's what our covenant is established upon. You can't have a covenant without promises, so if, if um, there isn't any promise, then there isn't a covenant. But we have a better covenant established on better promises. Jesus makes everything better. Right here in verse 1, Hebrews 8, verse 1, it says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. You can tell the person who wrote Hebrews that he was a preacher. He's saying this is the main point. Remember this. There's a reason why we have such a high priest. I preached on Hebrews um, 7 last week on how Jesus is our great high priest, how, how there's something very different about his priesthood. His priesthood is eternal. He wasn't just appointed by man. The Father, God the Father, actually swore an oath and made him high priest. When he, when he rose again, he was made high priest. He wasn't a high priest during his earthly ministry. He was actually made high priest after he offered the sacrifice of his own blood. But it's saying this this is the main point of the things that we are saying. We have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. So the sanctuary that we now have, the tabernacle that we now have in the new covenant, it's actually better than the old covenant tabernacle, the old covenant temple. I love, I love um, reading through the Old Testament, learning about the, the pattern of the tabernacle when, you know, the Israelites worshiped with the tabernacle when, you know, I, actually one of my favorite places I've been to in Israel was Shiloh, which is where um, Samuel was. That's where the tabernacle um, dwelt for a long period of time. That's where Samuel was dedicated there to serve um, the, the priest there. And that's where Samuel heard the audible voice of God. And Bible scholars think that actually Samuel... The prophet Samuel was um, the first person to enact regular, like weekly worship services, which is uh, very important for people of faith, amen? Going to church, going to, to join with other people on a regular basis to worship God. Jesus actually went to weekly worship services, amen? So if you think you don't need to go to church, then I don't, I don't know. We need to come together on a, on a regular, consistent basis um, to join together. And, uh, you know, I love reading about Solomon's temple as well. I love reading about, about the, the dimensions and um, what, what Ezekiel saw about the, the, the temple in the New Jerusalem. Um, but I love, I love um, what we have right now. We have a better tabernacle, a better temple right now. There's something better about it. And um, a couple weeks ago, when, when we were here on a Wednesday night, I heard God speak to me. I heard Jesus speak to me. And he was talking about how people during his lifetime here on the earth, his ministry here on the earth, um, they, they adored Solomon's temple. They thought it was the greatest 
building. And, and Jesus talked about it. He said, you know, this temple is actually going to be destroyed. It's gonna, the stones are going to be stripped away, torn down. But I'm going to, and he's talking about the temple of his own body. He said, I, it's going to be raised up in three days. And people didn't understand what he was saying, but he said, you know, I, I'm, my body is the temple. And also, um, I, I heard Jesus saying this, that, that this new temple that we have in the new covenant, it's the body of believers. And it's actually a better temple. It's a better sanctuary. It's a better dwelling place for the spirit of God. Because it's not a temple, it's not a, a, a tabernacle that's made with hands. If it was made with hands, then someone can tear it down. Right? The, the Roman Empire tore down Solomon's temple. But they couldn't tear down the temple of Jesus, the temple of his body of believers. No, 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 govern, no government, no, no philosophy, no, no gate of hell can tear down this new covenant temple. Amen? Because Jesus is the one who made it, and Jesus is the champion. You are my champion. Right? And if he made this temple, no one can tear it down. It doesn't, no, no, no politician, no government, no, no one, no one can tear it down. He's a minister of this sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Jesus had something to offer that was much better. Much better. He had, he had the, the offering of his own body. Verse 4, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. He would not be a priest if he were here on the earth right now, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So Moses was shown a something on the mountain, a blueprint, but it wasn't the actual eternal temple. Does that make sense? It was a picture of a temple to come. And even the vessels that were in that temple, the sacrifices that were part of that, that temple worship, that, that there was something better to come. It was a picture, a, a shadow of things to come. And the, the original is so much better than a copy. You know, you can, you can go buy a copy of a Picasso painting for $10. But the original is, is much better than a copy. Amen? And Jesus, he's, he's, he's the original deal. Amen? He is the, the original. Man, he's so much better. Let's go on here, verse 6. It says, Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. I love that Jesus is our mediator. Right now, they're, they're in the new covenant, there's actually nothing that should be between us and the Father except Jesus. He is the only mediator. God does not want any other person to, to mediate between you and him. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ himself said, I am the chief shepherd, you are the sheep, and my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say it. I'm going to appoint better sheep than the lower sheep, and the better sheep will communicate everything from me. To No, Jesus is the only mediator. This is actually very powerful, very important, very profound. 
um, in, in 1 Timothy. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 2, uh, chapter, uh, verses 3 through 6. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. I love that. God, God desires for all men to be saved. He cares about you more than any, any, any other person could care about you. You know, I was thinking about Jonah, how he was, you know, one of the greatest evangelists in the Old Testament, but when he was sent to Nineveh, he actually got upset that there was revival in Nineveh. He actually whined to God. Why are, he, God he wanted God to smite them. Jonah did not desire that all men be saved. He actually desired that all men of Nineveh be smited. And God had, this is, this is pretty profound. You might think you've been hurt by the church. Man, just, just be glad Jonah wasn't your pastor. And he's like praying to God, God, why don't you just smite them? I'm, I'm upset that they repented and turned to you and there was revival. And... There's too much uh, church hurt kind of stuff, language going on out there. Man, I'm, I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for the, for the pastors here, the staff here, the leaders here, the, all, all the people here. I, I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. Thank God for each and every single person here. Right now, every person watching, every, every person who's a part of this body. I'm so thankful for it. This, this place is a blessing. Amen. And the presence of God is here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thankful for it. I'm going to choose to, to bless it and to just thank God for it. Amen. That, that was a good message for somebody. The, the, there's a big problem with, with the victim mentality in the world today, and it, it has affected the church in a very negative way. So he is the mediator. Let's go, let's go back to 1 Timothy here, chapter 2. It says, for there is, man, I love this. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, the truth always prevails. There are a lot of lies out in the world today, but I know that the truth will always outlast the lies because the, Jesus is, is full of grace, full of truth. The truth will always prevail. Amen? For there is one God and one, say, one mediator. One mediator between God and man the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He is our great meteor. He is the only meteor between God and man. There is no other way to get to, to the Father except through Jesus. There is no other way. He is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. I love all the promises of God. And there, there, there is something better about this covenant. He's going to talk about it here in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So the first covenant, a covenant is a, a promise or a, a collection of promises that, that is actually based upon someone's character. When I married Heather, I, we made a covenant with each other. We, we, it wasn't just like we were just signing an agreement. We, we made a covenant with each other. We were saying that if I were to break this covenant, I, it, it would, 
I, I would break who I am as a person. I would break my, my, my nature, I would break my character, I would break my essence. If I were to break this covenant, I would no longer be who I am. So this first covenant, it, the, the fault with it was not God. God wasn't the problem. When I read through the Old Testament, I realize that God is not the problem. He's always the same. His character is the same. His nature is the same. God was not the problem. The promises were not the problem. The covenant itself was not the problem. The party that was the problem was mankind. And if you read through the Old Covenant, you see that mankind and those who'd entered that covenant with God had a lot of problems. From the very get-go of that covenant being offered, from the get-go of that covenant being written down on tablets of stone, immediately there was problems. There was faults. And it wasn't God. It was these people telling the high priest. And thank God we have a better high priest. Jesus is not going to make a golden calf for you to worship. God wasn't the problem. His nature, his essence, his character, it never changes. God has always been a God full of grace, full of love, full of mercy, full of truth. The problem was with mankind and really the nature and character of mankind. The problem, this is, is with the nature of mankind. So if God wanted to bring about a better covenant with mankind, he'd have to do something about the nature of mankind. Does this make sense? And that's what he goes on and explains here in verse 8, because finding fault with them. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. So if we're going to be a part of this new covenant, we're going to have to have a new mind. And not only a new mind, but it says, I'm going to write them on their hearts. You're going to have to have a new heart as well. The old nature isn't going to cut it anymore. The old way of thinking is not going to cut it. The old pattern is not going to cut it. You need to have a new mind and a new heart. If you're going to enter this covenant, this better covenant, this eternal covenant, by the way, there, there isn't going to be a third covenant that's better than this covenant we're in right now. We are part of an eternal covenant. You have to have a new mind and a new heart. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.16, quoting Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And also Ezekiel the prophet. I love what Ezekiel wrote in chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart. And not only that, I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You have to have a new mind and a new heart. A new spirit. You have to be born again. That's why Jesus said you can't just become a, a better you. You have to be a you have to be born again. 
Some people have problems that are so big that, that no, no amount of therapy, sorry to our therapists here today, no amount of, no amount of, like people can't fix you, money can't fix you, friends can't fix you, the government can't, no, nothing can fix you except the Holy Spirit. So thank God for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put these laws in their mind, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Verse 11. Verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brothers, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember them no more. This is a better covenant because we can know the Lord here on earth. We can know the Lord for ourselves. We can know the Lord through Jesus Christ, the one mediator. This is a better covenant because it is based upon his mercy. He's not going to remember our sin anymore. You know, in the Old Covenant, God would remember people's sin. He, he even would talk about how long he would remember their sin for in certain instances. Sometimes that sin would be remembered for just that person's lifetime. Sometimes the sin would be remembered for several generations. Sometimes, sometimes it would be remembered for centuries. But this New Covenant is, is better because his, these sins are remembered no more. How many think, thank God for that? His sins, I will remember them no more. Verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And I love, I love, um, we're going to go on to chapter 9 here. And um, this, this is so cool. I love, I love that this writer, the writer of Hebrews, who I personally believe was Paul, we can figure out when we get to heaven who, who, who actually wrote Hebrews, but I think it was Paul. But I, I love the, the writer here of Hebrews because he, he's, um, he's bringing out the beauty of the Old Testament, the beauty of what it's, it's showing. So he's saying even though the, the Old like we have something better, he's showing the beauty of the Old Covenant and how it, how it relates to the New Covenant, how it actually relates to our our relationship with, with God, our relationship with Jesus for all eternity. So now he's going to talk about, about the earthly sanctuary, the, the sanctuary that was made with hands, the tabernacle, the temple, and how the worship there actually points to, to our, our position with the Father now for in, in the new covenant. So we're going to talk about the mercy seat. Thank God for the mercy seat. Say, thank God for the mercy seat. Say, thank God that his grace is so much bigger. And we're going to see this here when, when he's kind of talking about what happened in the Old Covenant. So here, Hebrews 9, verse 1, the mercy seat, God's grace is so much bigger. Verse 1, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared the first part in which was, was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. This is the holy of holies. So he's, he's going to draw out the, the, the important things that, that are in this holy place, this, this, uh, the, the place where God's presence, his tangible manifest present dwelt. 
And I love, I actually love studying um, the, the holy of holies and what would happen when, like when, when, when that tabernacle was, was dedicated, when the temple was dedicated, just the power of God's presence. And when you see that in the Old Covenant, we know that we have access to God's presence today. Amen? And he's going to talk about what, what was in the holiest place of all. He said here in the holiest of all, verse 4, it said it had a golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So inside the Ark of the Covenant, which was the mercy seat, the, the, there were two angels over the Ark of the Covenant. They had their wings stretched out over it. That's where God's presence dwelt. It was called the mercy seat because it, it, it really showcased God's mercy. God has never changed. He has always been a God of incredible mercy. And those three things that were inside the Ark of the Covenant uh, are, are representations of God's incredible mercy. Look at manna. Manna was, was an example of, of God's great mercy that was greater than all our sin. If you study what happened when, when, when manna was given to the children of Israel, there was a lot of sin going on. People were complaining nonstop. They were complaining so much that they just said, we just want to go back to Egypt. We, you know, God, God has given us these promises to look forward to. He's, he showed us his power. He showed us our grace. He sh he's, we can be thankful, but no, we're going to complain. We're going to bicker. We're going to murmur. And we just want to go back to eat those, that garlic, that onion, that, that they, they were crazy. It said they had intense craving for garlic and for leeks and for cucumbers. Like, that's why they wanted to go back. But God, God's mercy was so huge. Man, God, one thing that God's mercy does, and this is what manna represents, manna represents God's incredible grace in terms of supernatural provision. Manna, the, the miracle of manna, man, if you just think about the scope of it. You know, walking through a desert for 40 years, and every day, six days a week, for 40 years, you get up and there is manna on the ground. And, it, and, and it's, you just take whatever you need. If you have a bigger household, you take more. If you have a smaller household, you take less. And don't take more than you need. Trust me, it's going to be there tomorrow. What did they do? They, people took more than what they needed. And it, it bred, bred worms and stank and... And then he said, hey, do you know what? I'm going to do something really cool on the, on the sixth day. On Friday when you gather, gather twice as much as you need. And I'm going to do something really cool with this miracle on Friday. Gather twice as much as you need. And then on, on the Sabbath, you know, the, the expiration date on that manna is going to go twice as long. It's not going to breed worms. So, so God gave them something was different in the chemical makeup of the manna on Fridays. How cool is that? God knows exactly what you need when you need it. When you need it. You might need more on Friday. You might need more on Sunday. You might need more. God knows when you need more, and he is always going to give you more when you need it. So manna, 
It's a, it's a picture of God's supernatural grace, and his grace provides abundantly. Amen? Look at Aaron's rod that budded. Again, it shows that God's mercy is so much greater. Again, there was a sin of complaining again. Man, whenever I, I, I have to check myself all the time. I go back and read through Exodus about complaining. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop complaining because it never leads to anything good. Complaining seems like a great idea if you leave out the promises. If you leave out God's faithfulness. If you leave out... Man, it, se- it, seems, it seems reasonable. It seems, it seems okay. It seems fine. But it, yeah, sure it does if you leave out faith. faith. If you leave out Jesus. If you leave out... The covenant that is based not, it's based upon who God is. The same thing with fear. So people were complaining. Korah, Korah gathered up, you know, the, the majority of Israel. Just because you get the majority in favor of your idea doesn't mean it's right. Korah. And you got to be comp- careful about complaining and, and like getting on your soapbox of complaining and see how many people I can... Man, or offense is the same way. Let me see who I can get in a group of offended people and, and we'll just make a club of. So God did something. Well, people did it to themselves. He said, hey, I, I'm, before he, he gave them a warning. There's life, there's death, choose life. Korah chose death and the earth opened up and swallowed him up. I'm, I'm glad we're under a, a new covenant now. I'm glad, yeah, and I'm glad that we have better preachers now than Jonah. And, um, but God, God did something out of his mercy to, to put an end to all this strife. Korah was trying to stage a mutiny against the priesthood, against Aaron. He's saying, well, why does he get to priest, be priest? I should be priest, or you should be priest. I got, I got a million people who'd be a better priest than Aaron. And God did something. God, after, after the earth swallowed people up in the middle of the desert, um, God said, well, here's what we're going to do. Get every, every tribe, every leader from that tribe, have them all get a rod. And um, the tribe of Levi had, you know, Aaron, Aaron had a rod and, and put them all in the, in the presence of God. And we'll see what happens. And something supernatural happened to Aaron's rod. And it's a picture of, God, of God's grace, a picture of his mercy. Something happened. This, his rod that budded, it, it budded, but it didn't just bud. I love looking at all the blossoms right now. The, that rod didn't just bud. It said it actually, it actually produced ripened almonds. Almond, man, what, what a picture of supernatural life. When people were trying to chop down Aaron, just chop down what God was doing, ultimately chopped themselves down because they, they just completely disregarded his covenant. God, God did something out of his mercy to just show that he was a God that through, through his grace wanted to give people supernatural life. That rod represents that grace that brings supernatural life. When there shouldn't be blossoms, there was blossoms. When there shouldn't be fruit, there was fruit. When there shouldn't be almonds, 
there were almonds. God's mercy brings supernatural life. And I love that the, the, the tablets of the covenant were there. You know, when God, when God wrote his laws down, when he wrote down those, those Ten Commandments on stone, Israel sinned immediately. They had Aaron make a golden calf to worship. They were very quick to make idols to worship. But God's grace was so much greater. You know, the, the stone tablets of the covenant, they really show that even though we may fail, his word will never fail. Any failure, any, any problems, they, they are not, it is not with God. God's word is firmly established. That's why it's written on stone. That's, it's actually a part of his mercy. His word is incorruptible. Just like the, the, those, those laws written on stone, they, they show that his word is incorruptible. There, there is a lot of corruption in the world today. Man, so much corruption. But God's word is incorruptible. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 23 and 24. It says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever because all flesh, I love this, all flesh is as grass. Man, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about our talent, it's not a... I just, I just saw something the other day about, about a minister who had a huge following. Probably had, had one of the largest followings on, on earth of any minister ever. And... Um, Things didn't work out for him, and he, he tried to, to do, uh, have another meeting right where he used to be the pastor of, of a church of, of probably not tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands, and, and at this meeting, there were only 100 people that showed up after he had been fired just a year before, and I was just thinking, man, this is really true. All flesh is as grass. The glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers, its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Man, if there's anything that, that you get from my ministry, I want you to get, I want you to fall in love with Jesus. I want you to fall in love with his word. I want you, I don't care if you like me or don't like, I'm not going to be here as long as the word of God is going to be here. I would much rather have you fall in love with the word of God. You fall in love with the promises of God. You fall in love with Jesus than you fall in love with Aaron Purdue. I'm not going to be here nearly as long as the promises of God. That's, that, that, this is good preaching. I'm excited about this. this make, it makes me so excited because it's not about me. It's not... Man, we get to be born again of the seed of the word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's go on here. So there's the tablets of the new covenant. In verse 5, it says, Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. I guess I gave you a little bit more detail. I expounded upon what? I gave you a little more detail. Verse 6, Now when these things had been thus pre prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. 
But into the second part, I love, I love that they, perform, they had to perform the services. They performed the sacrifices. They, they burned the incense. They, they did all these things in the, the outer parts of the temple. In the, in the holy of holies, you could not perform services. This is really profound. This is one thing you can take away tonight. There's something very, very so, so special about, about the tangible presence of God. In Scripture, when you, when you saw that, that presence manifest when they dedicated the temple, they couldn't, they couldn't even perform their priestly duties. They just fell down with the, with the weight of his glory, the weight of his presence. When God's presence is, is, is fully accessible in you, it's not about what you can do, what you can perform, what you can offer. All you can do is just rest in it. And, and there's something very special about the, the one day where the one guy could go into the Holy of Holies. On the day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, it's, it's, it's called the Sabbath of Sabbaths. Sabbath is, is a day of rest. This is the rest of rest. On, on that, that one day, he would go in there and he couldn't do nothing. All he could do was just rest. He didn't perform anything. He didn't offer all. He, he did his offerings outside. But when he came into God's presence, he would, he'd enter that place of rest. He would enter that Sabbath, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. That's really good to think about. You can think about it a little bit more. But they performed the, the services, the offerings, the incense. The, they, did it, they did not do that in, at the place of mercy. The place of mercy is everything about what God had given them. So verse 7, it says in the second part of the, the high priest, he went in there once a year, not without blood. Say, not without blood. When, my, when I was um, dating Heather, her first year of Bible school, she, um, all the Bible school students have to read through the, the Bible in one year. And every time you take your tests for Andrew Walmack, you have to sign something that says, are, are you, you know, up, to, up, to your, up to date on your Bible reading? And um, if you're not, then you can't get an A. You get a grade lower. So Heather was usually behind. She's you know, since read through the Bible several times, but, but uh, that first year I kept her busy dating me. And she wouldn't, yeah, so you, you're not supposed to lie about it. I don't know. Anyways. Um... I remember when she was reading through Leviticus, she was, you know, the, Leviticus is just full of all these offerings, and she's, there's just so much blood everywhere. Why all this blood? Not without blood. It's all, it's all there's so much blood in the Old Testament because it's, it's pointing to, to Jesus. That there would, sin is a big deal. Why, 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 why is sin... Why do I know that sin is a big deal and it's not something that should be taken lightly? Because w without, without blood, there is no remission of sin. And I know that sin is a big deal because the price that had to be paid for our sin. I, I hate sin. I hate lawlessness. I, I hate... I hate people who, who esteem lightly what Jesus has done for them. 
It says, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So the priest would offer sacrifices and it'd be a blood sacrifice. He would do it outside of the Holy of Holies. And, and it's saying here in verse 8 that, that this, was, this was done because the Holy Spirit was speaking something. The Holy Spirit was speaking something, indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. The way was not yet made manifest. The Holy Spirit was indicating something, pointing to something. We knew that, that this would be a, a type of rest, a type of Sabbath. There would be a blood offering. But that way wasn't yet made manifest. Verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. So saying even the, the, the high priest wasn't perfect. They might be okay legally to enter the Holy of Holies, but they still could not be completely purified. It could not purify their conscience. And it's saying the law, the law could not touch the heart. The law could not touch the conscience. The law could not touch the deep part of man. Even Paul, Paul wrote that I, concerning the law, I kept it perfectly. But he knew that, that the, 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 righteousness, the righteousness that came from keeping the law couldn't change him. It couldn't change his heart. It couldn't change his mind. It couldn't change his spirit. It couldn't change his conscience. One time when, when Paul's giving his testimony, he was saying, you know, before I met Jesus, I was filled with exceeding rage to the point where he would kill Christian believers. The law cannot give you God's heart. Only grace can do that. Saying the law, it, it cannot, cannot change your conscience. It's concerned only with the foods, with drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. The Reformation occurred when Jesus died on the cross. That's the great Reformation. Amen. So we're going to talk about this time of Reformation and what's been reformed. There's something better now. It says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. Amen. We are his tabernacle. We are his sanctuary. We are his dwelling place and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, I'm so excited about the church. I know as long as the church is here on the earth that God has good things in store for planet earth. I know as long as there is a church in America that God has, God has something happening in America today. I know that as long as Karis Christian Center is here in Colorado Springs, God has a kingdom purpose for Colorado Springs. So look at this, verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Say eternal redemption. We talked about eternal salvation last week. Now he's talking about eternal redemption. With his own blood he entered the most holy place once, say once for all. Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now that he's in the Holy of Holies, Jesus is at the right. He does not have to offer another sacrifice. When you're in God's presence, it's not about what you sacrifice. It's about what was already sacrificed. Jesus already made the sacrifice outside. 
outside of, of, of the Holy of Holies. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he, he went to a place where, where God, where he didn't experience the Father's presence, where sin was placed on him, where sickness was placed on him, the curse was placed upon him, where all this stuff that can't be in God's presence was placed on him. And he, he conquered it all. He defeated it all. He stripped it all away. Amen? And he entered the holy place, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats in the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ... I remember, you know, I think this was just a couple years ago, but, but uh, I remember seeing in the news, um, there, there were like five red heifers, pure red heifers that were being flown from Texas to Israel. And people were getting super excited about it. And, and these prophetic type people are getting super excited about it. And I, I'm like, I, I'm much more excited about the blood of Jesus than about the purity of a heifer that's in Israel today. Be careful. Don't, don't go out on too many tangents that are just cuckoo. No, look, 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 at, look at the important, whenever you're, you're thinking about something and its importance, you know, doctrinally, theolo theologically, if you, if you leave out the blood of Jesus, you're going to get off into some cuckoo pants stuff. You know, someone came to me, he's very worried, you know, because he's studying out Revelation and, and all these promises to the church, you know, they're for those who overcome, and I don't feel like I'm an overcomer, so that means I'm going I'm to be left out. And I'm like, don't, don't read through Revelation or try to understand it without, without the blood of Jesus. They overcame him. How? Through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You don't need to be worried about not overcoming if you have Jesus inside of you. The great overcomer is in you. So if you, if you, if you, if you read Revelation with the understanding of what Jesus has done for us, the blood of Jesus, what it still does for us. And again, this is, this is not, this covenant that we're in now, it's an eternal covenant. The blood of Jesus does not go away. It's an eternal payment. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, I love this, cleanse your conscience, purge your conscience, Man, religion, religion cannot touch the, touch the in, inward parts of man. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can change someone's heart. Only the Spirit of God can, can purge someone's soul, purge their conscience. You know, a, a while back, I, I did an entire message on, on how the blood cleanses your conscience, what the blood of Jesus does to your soul, to your mind, your will, your emotions, your your, your conscience, even. It's from a series I did called The Divine Imagination. And the, the blood of Jesus can actually change you from the inside. So, so you realize it's not about what you do, these dead works. But now when you serve the living God, it's about a relationship. It's about when, when we serve him, we're not coming trying to perfect ourselves. We're coming him already made perfect through the blood. We're coming, everything that we do, it's, it's from a place of gratitude, a, a place of freedom, a place of love, not a place of debt. 
Amen? I just want to read a couple more verses here. Verse 15, it's, it stays lighter now, so I'm like confused. It feels like it's only 7.30, but it's 8.20. I thought I had like another hour to go, but I'll just... It's a good thing I looked at my watch and not just the sky. I'd have a tough time preaching in the Arctic Circle if it's like just blazing bright, you know, at 8 p.m. Verse 15, for this reason he is the mediator. There is a reason that Jesus is the mediator, that he is the one who stands in the gap between us and God. There is a reason. I love it when he's saying, for this reason. Say, for this reason. For this reason. I want to talk about this reason. He is now the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So Jesus Christ, he could have just died on the cross. If he would have just died on the cross, he would have taken care of all of our sin. All of our sin would have been wiped away. Like if Jesus had, I'm just going to, thank God this didn't just happen, but the Hypothetically, if Jesus had just died on the cross and that was it, you know, the, the veil would have been torn, it wouldn't, the, the, the sacrifice would have been made, but there's a reason that he was resurrected. There is a reason that he was resurrected. There's a reason that he died, there's a reason that he was resurrected, and, and part of the reason that he was resurrected was so that he would be a mediator so that we could not just have a blank slate, but that way we could receive now. Receive what? The promise of the internal, eternal inheritance. And I love this, verse 16 and 17. This is going to be the last two verses. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in, is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the te testator lives. So, right now, my father has a will. I don't know what's in his will. When he dies, I'll find out. I've asked that, you know, his grand piano, he's a seven-foot grand piano at home. I asked for that already, but I don't get it. Why? Because my dad hasn't died. And I, I don't know what his will says. He might, he might, you know, pull a quick one on me and give it to one of my other brothers instead just to... for reasons known to himself, and I won't be able to ask him until I get to heaven. But Jesus died that way this, this testament, this new testament, this new covenant could be enacted. The only way it could be enacted was through, through blood, through his death. But he's also alive, and, and because he's alive, that doesn't mean the testament goes away. I actually looked this up, you know, if someone were to... Um, People thought they died, maybe they had been gone for, usually it's a period of seven years. If someone has been missing for seven years, um, you can get a death certificate for them. And all their property, all their estate, you know, all of that can, can go on to whoever. But if that person were to come back, which has happened a few times, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, ta-da, I'm here. What happens? That, 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 that tent, the, their estate, their will, it doesn't go away. It actually remains. It's kind of interesting. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I was just 
kind of curious. So Jesus, when, when he died, that, that new covenant was enacted, but when he came back to life, he, became, he came back to life that way he could actually make sure that we get everything that he promised us through that will. So he, he, he's, the, he's not only the, the one who, who wrote the will, but he's also the, the executor of that will, which is, which is kind of just... It's hard to wrap your brain around. I tried to do it, and I'm not explaining it the greatest. But, but one reason why he came back to life was because he wanted to make sure that that will was executed, that that will was enacted, that we would receive all of those promises associated with that will. And, and that, that's very profound. That's really exciting to me. That we, we are to receive the promise of an eternal inheritance, Man, and this inheritance doesn't go away. It's an eternal inheritance, and we're actually co-heirs with him. We're not lesser heirs. Amen? So my conclusion for you all, Jesus makes everything better. He's our mediator, and we can receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Amen? Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.